What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Bobby Gibson. I'm Josh Creed. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening, or it'll be wham with the right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. In other news, the Zips losing streak has continued. Just had to be against the electric chickens, didn't it? In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. (laughs) Have you ever tried DMT? (laughs) And, of course, the hottest takes. I want Baker Mayfield because he solidifies what Cleveland is. It's only game. Why you have to be mad? I woke up feeling dangerous. You know, bro. Hold on, bitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer to the best of the Akron Zips. Now it's time for SPT. What's going on, everyone? You are listening to Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. This is a February 13th edition of SBT. My name is Jake Murren, and I will host today's show alongside my guest, Dan Groen. What is going on? And newcomer to SBT, Alex Henry. Good morning, everybody. We have a takeover. Yes, we do. Green takeover. Yes. We have a stacked and entertaining show for you today as there are very few weeks in the sports world as entertaining as this past one was. We'll discuss the latest with the Cavs, Zips, uh, NBA trade deadline, and all-star festivities. And, of course, Super Bowl Sunday with some predictions, analysis, and even some prop bets along the way. So stay tuned for that. But first, we have a UFC pay-per-view to discuss as UFC 271 went down last night. And we'll hear an interview from Josh Rock and Roller as he discusses his upcoming fight as well. So UFC 271 last night, it was a great fight card, great fights all around from prelims to the main card. We'll start with the prelims and work our way up to the main card and also give our uh, prediction show. If you didn't know, we had our prediction show on SBT Overtime and uh, we'll, we'll reveal the winners of our prediction show. So that'll be a lot of fun. But first, the prelims. I know there was one notable prelim, Alex, that you wanted to talk about. So I'll let you go ahead and take it away with Douglas Silva to Andre and Sergey Morozov. Yeah, that was an early prelim fight, and it's very rare. Uh, I actually think it was the fight of the night. Uh, Douglas Silva DeAndre came out, got elbowed clean in the forehead. Uh, a lot of blood. It was really, really gross to look at. He was just getting beat up. Then in the second round, he's getting beat up even more. And then out of nowhere, he just, the dog came out of him. And uh, he got a nice rear naked choke. Uh, that was a pretty good prelim fight. Obviously, Blood Diamond fight. Um, he lost. Pretty but, disappointing Yeah, Blood Diamond. Yeah. Not his real name, but his fighter right. name is Blood Diamond. Yeah. First name Blood, last name Diamond. Pretty underwhelming. Um, and then. Well, what happened in the beginning of that fight was wild. Yeah. If you see the beginning of the fight, I think, I don't, Wells, he was fighting Wells. Yeah. Yeah, Wells is running around the cage and then he like trips or falls and almost face plants the side of the cage. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he takes down Blood Diamond and it's a quick submission win for him, so. 
But that Douglas Silva to Andre, I didn't see that fight, but I've heard what you have said, and I've seen pictures on social media and all that. It's rare you see, like, if you see a submission win in round two, you don't really expect the fight to be much of a war. You expect it to almost be domination, you know, submission round two. But in this case, just because there was a submission in round two does not mean that it was an absolute war. Um, Silva to Andre... His face did not look good after that fight. No. I'm not going to lie, but good for him for picking up that win. I know in the post-game or the post-fight conference, he was talking about uh, what the win meant to him and what some bonus money would mean to him as well. So good for him picking up the win on the early prelims, I believe it was. And then there was actually a change to the main card. So when we did our prediction show, we predicted the Kyler Phillips and Marcelo Rojo fight. Um that fight ended up moving to the prelims, and instead we got Renato Moicano and Alexander Hernandez on the main card. But Kyler Phillips, nonetheless, on the prelims, he got a round three submission of Marcelo Rojo, and I called it. By the way, I said he would. Just, I said he would win, but I also said he would submit him yep. later on in the fight. So I'm very proud of that one. We were both right about Kyler Phillips. Yep. So we both started off one and zero for the night, and so did Michael. Michael's not here, but he was also he also took, partook in that prediction show. Um, but the big prelim that stuck out to me was the Happy Warrior Roxanne Modafferi versus Casey or King Casey O'Neill. Um, it, it was a great fight overall. But those of you that don't know who Roxanne Modafferi is, she is just a pioneer in women's MMA. She's the happy warrior for a reason. She loves what she does. She made her MMA debut in 2003 when Amanda Nunes wasn't even training to be a fighter yet. That's how long she's been in the game. And it's tough to see her go out on a loss, but at the same time, you love to see her go out doing what she absolutely loves. And the whole her whole career, whether it's going on a six-fight losing streak and getting back into the UFC and being on the Ultimate Fighter... All that and more, Roxanne Modafferi have nothing but respect for the Happy Warrior. Do you have anything to say with uh, Roxanne Modafferi, Alex? Uh, yeah, it was definitely sad. Uh, and the way she went out was pretty sad. Um, but overall, very good career. Uh, the fans in Houston were not very nice to Casey O'Neill. Not at all. Um, no, she was definitely the heel. Yeah, the and um, yeah, it was a good fight for sure. Yeah, and Casey O'Neill's stock definitely went up. Um, I can definitely see her in title contention just because, you know, she's one of those people that the champion just hasn't beaten yet. So that's definitely compelling. It's that new and fresh blood for the champion to to fight. So good for Casey O'Neill. I'm sure she'll boost up the rankings um, soon whenever those rankings get announced. But let's get into the five fights. Main card is started off with Bobby Green getting a decision win over Nazrat Takparast in the lightweight division. And boy, was I happy to see Bobby Green win because you picked Hazrat, or Nazrat Hackfrast. I picked Bobby Green. So right there and then I went 2-0 and and you went 1-1. One and one. So that made me a little happy. But. Yeah, I was, uh, I really actually, it looked like Nazrat Hackfrast was winning in the first round. Uh, he did go all the way, um, but he, yeah, he, he let me down. Uh, not too disappointed in his fight, though. Yeah, I mean, it was a great fight. I just knew Bobby Green was going to be too much for... Uh, Nazrat to handle on the feet. Bobby Green seems like he's in the prime of his career right now. For so sure. Future fights for Bobby Green. It definitely was up. an entertaining fight to watch. This was the first one I saw. Yeah. I didn't watch any of the prelims or anything, but 
it, even though it was kind of one-sided, it was still a good fight because, like you said, it went all the way. And if you're into, like, strike-heavy fighting like yeah. I am, it's super entertaining. And there was a lot of chirping and trash talking between the two. So Even before the fight, yeah. Yeah, that's always, that's always it always makes it so much better when there's all that drama going on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Michael and I were 2-0 and right here, and then you were 1-1, one one, Alex. But then the second fight, we didn't predict it because it wasn't supposed to be a main card fight. In fact, it was supposed to be an early prelims fight. But nonetheless, it was on the main card, and Renato Moicano got a submission win over Alexander Hernandez. And boy, I was happy to see this happen. So those of you that don't know, Alexander Hernandez, um, lightweight fighter, he was complaining about being on the early prelims. He was very upset, and he made it public that he did not want to fight on the early prelims. He thought he should have been on the main card, all that. And then what does the UFC do? They restructure the entire card and actually put him on the main card. So he gets that spotlight, and then he gets submitted in round two. Humbled. Humbled. <laughs> Humbly submitted in round two after complaining about not being on it. Yeah. It, was, it was actually quite funny. And then Renato Moicano had a great uh, um, interview after he got the win. And just good to see Alexer, Alexander Hernandez get a little bit humbled there. So that was fun. We didn't do any predictions on that one. Uh, but we did make predictions on the next one. A little bit of controversies here with our predictions at least. But Jared Cannonier. With a second round KO over Derek Brunson. Um, I know you got to feel good about this one, Alex, because you're the only one who picked Cannoneer, as Michael and I both picked Derek Brunson on this one. Yeah, I'm very, very happy. Uh, I wasn't expecting a knockout or the knockout fashion it was. I, uh, I definitely was heavy on the podcast talking about how good of a striker I thought Jared was uh, and how I thought that was going to give him problems. But uh, I was not expecting a huge knockout. My goodness. Um, it was vicious, too. And, man, it is exciting to think that he could be fighting or probably will be fighting Israel Adesanya very, very soon. That's yeah. going to be yeah, a... I'd say give him a title fight. Yeah. It, it's a lock. It's yeah. a lock. That's going to be an awesome fight whenever that happens. I mean, I really thought Blonde Brunson would get it done. You know, he's Blood, just, blood Brunson. Yeah, he turned Blonde Brunson <laughs> into Blood Brunson. That was a great quote by Jared Cannonier after the fight, but... You know, Brunson, he's just been so good with wrestling, and he's been on this rise so far. No wrestling, barely at all. Barely at all. And, like, when he did get takedowns, Cannonier was able to muscle his way back up to his feet quite easily. Yeah. And the takedowns that Brunson were going after just kind of seemed a little reckless. You know, it didn't seem um, well-timed at all. And, you know, with a mixed martial artist, you got to be balanced at least, or at least a little bit talented everywhere. And I feel like Brunson, he's super talented with his wrestling game. But when he can't get somebody down or keep him down, he's really got to rely on his strikes. And when he has to rely on his strikes, it's not going to go well for uh, Derek Brunson. So good for Jared Cannonier. Um, I didn't see it happening, but he did pick up the win. And uh, you got that pick right. So congratulations to you, Alex. Thank you, thank you. And then we get to the co-main event of the evening. And my goodness, what a fight. I was screaming. I know you were too, Alex. I don't know if you saw it, Dan. But yeah, Ty... Bam, bam, to Ivasa, the heavyweights with a second-round KO over Derek Lewis. Dan, did you see it, and what were your thoughts on this one? I did. It was very entertaining to watch, and it was the biggest surprise of the night to me. I mean, I'm a big casual underdog. fan, so I don't know how big of an upset that truly was. But it was, I mean, Lewis looked pretty dominant in the first round, but... Tui Vasa erupted and took advantage of Lewis. 
I noticed Lewis looked a little slow in that fight. I don't know if that's just the style, but uh, Tui Vasa definitely took advantage of that and just out of nowhere just yeah. started erupting. And it was it was very surprising to see. So on our prediction show, I was talking about how Tai Tui Vasa needs to stick to his game plan, stick with the leg kicks to slow Derek Lewis down, and then erupt with strikes to knock him out. I believe I said that almost verbatim. And what did Tai Tui Vasa do? In the first round, he almost got knocked out. It was a rough first round for Tai Tui Vasa, but he got those leg kicks in there. He pieced him up a little bit, slowed him down, made him tired in round number two, and was able to get the KO. Um, Alex, I know we were going crazy because we were the only two to pick Tai Tui Vasa. Yeah. And uh, Michael picked Derek Lewis to win this heavyweight fight. What did you make of this insane co-main event at heavyweight? I was so excited. Um, I thought your breakdown on the podcast was really good because uh, it almost ha- like it pretty much did happen in the fight where Derek Lewis, um, after the first round and the second round was kind of taking too long and letting Tai Tuivasa yeah. bring the fight to him. And his counter strikes were incredible. I thought Derek Lewis was going to catch him with one, and he was catching him with one, some. And Tai Tuivasa was not getting knocked out. And, not at all. Uh, he, you know, Derek Lewis got stuck right on the cage. He's looking Tai Tuivasa clear in the eyes and then caught an elbow. Yeah, if Fell flat on his face. If there's any doubt of Tai Tuivasa's toughness in his chin... That doubt is out of the window. For sure. I honestly thought Tai Tuivasa would have gotten knocked out in the first round. The first round round on the ground. Yeah, when he was on the ground, he was trying to get up. And Derek Lewis was... We know the power of Derek Lewis. Some people say he's even stronger and more powerful than Francis Nagano, who's the champion right now. And he was just wailing on Tai Tuivasa. And I was like, he's done. Those are four of his most powerful shots while he's on your back. He should be done. Instead, he got up. And then in round number two... He's eating strikes, and instead of trying to counter or get his head out of the way, he's like, you know what? You can hit me, but I'm going to hit you too. He opens up, goes crazy on Derek Lewis, and then, as you said, hits that elbow um, coming into the clinch, and then down goes Derek Lewis out of nowhere. Um, Derek Lewis is 0-2 in his last two fights in Houston. That's his hometown, so feel bad for Derek Lewis there, but what a fight at heavyweight and Derek Lewis... Got to feel bad for him, but I, was, I wasn't I was happy when he fell down, but I was shocked, and it was a moment yeah. that um, will probably stick with me for a long time at, between heavyweight fights. And good for Tai Tuivasa. He was the 11th-ranked heavyweight going into it, and Derek Lewis was number three. So Tai Tuivasa, his stock is going to raise a lot coming out of this main event or this co-main event, and we'll see what he gets next, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, actually. But the main event between the middleweight Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. Adesanya retains the middleweight championship, and he is the king of the middleweight division once again. Alex, I know you're a big Adesanya guy. You're a fan of his. You didn't give any respect to Robert Whitaker in the prediction show. Um, we All three of us picked Israel Adesanya, but I was more so I could see Whitaker winning this fight, but you had no thoughts of Whitaker winning this fight, and I'm sure you were happy with the result last night. Yeah, I'm really happy. Uh, in the uh, podcast, I referred to um, Israel Adesanya as the 95 Chicago Bears, where, as I <laughs> meant to call him, the 85 Chicago Bears. <laughs> but gotta clear the air there. But um, I'm kind of happy I did call him the 95 Bears. The 95 Bears record, they were 9-7. and seven. I looked it up, and... 
That's kind of how Israel fought last oh, night. So he you're was, not you're not overwhelmed he, um, by his performance. I, he gave himself a seven out of ten, and I would agree. I thought it was one of his more lackluster uh, fights. He, I do believe that he did do everything to win. I don't think that Robert Whitaker won, uh, like some people do. Yeah, and Whitaker was, thought he won. Yeah, He's, he thought he did enough to win. Uh, I I have uh, Israel Adesanya round one and two. I give Whitaker three, four is debatable, and I give Adesanya five, actually, even though, despite the takedown, so. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I was really happy with that fight. Um, definitely looking to the future for Izzy's next fight, though. Yeah, so Adesanya, he wants to be active. He was talking about fighting four to five times this year. This year. Which is insane for a champion, especially. But good for him. He wants to route the entire middleweight division again. And it wasn't the most impressive win, but he did enough. And there's just nothing like seeing Israel Adesanya fight. Just his length with his reach and height in the middleweight division is uncanny. And I truly believe that Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya are one and two in the middleweight division. Oh, I agree. And, like, almost everybody else is just on a tier below them. Yep. So Israel Adesanya, if he sticks to middleweight, like, he he probably will after failing to move up. Um, he should have some success coming up in the middleweight division. But coming up for Israel Adesanya, like we mentioned, will likely be Jared Cannonier. He won the same night with a KO. And we knew, like, if Adesanya won, he would he would face the winner of this Cannonier and Brunson fight. But Cannonier put the statement with that knockout win. And uh, it'll be Adesanya v. Cannonier maybe in June, maybe in July. That's when... Uh, Adesanya wanted to come back. What do you think of that fight? Uh, yeah, I'm really um, excited for that fight. A lot of people who try to beat Israel nowadays want to wrestle him. You saw that from Robert. Um, they think that's the that's the key. Uh, that would not happen in the Jared fight. They are yeah. both big uh, strikers, and that's what I want to see. I want to see uh, somebody beat Izzy in a striking match because uh, it's not going to happen. After you saw last night, the um, his takedown defense was really good. Yep. And uh, I, even, you know, he did get taken down sometimes right back up for the most yeah. part. So I, I don't know if wrestling is the strategy, even though Robert Whitaker got the closest w- using that wrestling. But uh, yeah, I honestly don't think anybody can match the striking of no. Israel Adesanya just because of how how fluent he is with his lengthy. striking. Lengthy, just he picks his shots when he needs them. And his head movement is so good to where he barely receives shots at the same time. He's just an insane fighter. And Jared Cannonier, I'm, I like it because it's a fresh matchup. I think right. that's exactly what Izzy wanted. He didn't want to fight Brunson for a second time, even though he'd be down for it if Brunson did win. Um, he wants to lap that division, wants some new competition as well. Now, tied to Ivasa, he's on a five-fight winning streak. All five fights he has won by KO. Who do you see tied to Ivasa fighting next? Because he was the 11th-ranked UFC heavyweight. He just beat Derek Lewis, who was number three. So this is these are the current heavyweight rankings, right? So Francis Naganu is the current champion. Then we have Cyril Gaon, Stipe Miocic, and then Derek Lewis, who is going to be knocked down. And then Curtis Blades, but Curtis Blades and Chris Dacus are probably going to fight at UFC Columbus here shortly. And then you have Jarzino Rosenstrike, Alexander Volkov in the mix. Personally, I like him fighting Cyril Gaon next. Okay. It just makes sense to me. Cyril Gaon just came off a loss against Francis Naganu. There's been rumblings of a potential Stipe Miocic versus John Jones fight, which I'm really excited about. And Francis Naganu, I don't know if he'll even fight in the UFC again. That yeah. remains to be seen. Um, at least not this year with his injury and surgery. 
So who do you think would be a good matchup for Ty Tuivasa? I would actually like to see Ty face Stipe. Uh I think that would oh, be man. a very fun. That would suck for me because I'm a big <laughs> yeah. fan. Of, I'm a big fan of both. <laughs> yeah. So that would that would not be good. I uh, I think that'd be such a fun fight to watch. Um, but I I would agree with you. I think uh, the smart move uh, for UFC would be him versus Cyril Gon. Um, yeah, for sure. Cyril Gon is the more technical fighter, but Tai Tuivasa. I mean, we saw. In his past five fights, you know, he can put down anybody, especially with counter-strikes. And uh, I think he matches up with any of the heavyweights really well. Personally, I would like him not a tune-up fight because he certainly doesn't need a tune-up fight. But I'd like to see him go after like a Jarzina Rosenstrike. But no, Jarzina Rosenstrike's locked up too, I think. I don't know. I think, honestly, Shirogan might be the only available person. And that'd be a great fight. Stipe, I want him to come back against John Jones. I think both men are interested in that. And Stipe's only going to come back for something that excites him. And I think uh, um, John Jones does that for Big him. Name. Big yeah, name. exactly. And that's what Stipe deserves at this time of his career. Greatest heavyweight of all time. So with the prediction show that we've been talking about this whole segment, I went four and one. You also went four and one, Alex. And then Michael came in at three and two. So there's no one winner, but we did tie, Alex. We did a little tapology thing, though, yes, where we, we predicted did. all 14 fights and, you know, I won that one, so got a little bit of bragging rights on that. Though. One fight by one fight. <laughs> yeah, I, I picked more so like the how people were going to win. Yeah. And like what deci- decision, submission, KO, and what round. I got a lot of those right. So that's what really gave me the edge overall. But we're going to hear an interview from you, Alex, with Josh Rock and Roller. Um, so stick around to hear that, and we'll be right back after the interview and a short little break with more Sports Power Talk. Stay tuned. Hello, my name is Alex Henry, and thank you for joining us on Sports Power Talk. Today, I am honored to be interviewing 7-3 pro MMA fighter out of Strong Style in Independence, Ohio, Josh Rock and Roller. Josh, how are you doing today? Good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to be uh, on air in my hometown of Akron, Ohio. Yep. Well, I I thank you for giving me the time. I know you can be busy with your up-and-coming fight and training, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, But right now, I kind of want to know who you are, and I want the listener to know who you are. So if you could, uh, tell me about your up-and-comings in combat sports, like from an early childhood to maybe where you are right now. Okay, well, first and foremost, um, I am a Bible-believing Christian. I'm a Christ follower. That's what I want people to know about me um, before anything else. As uh, combat sports goes, I grew up wrestling. I started in first grade. I was garbage. I went defeated my first year. Second year, I ended up getting a win, you know, and then really started to fall in love with it. I wrestled throughout high school. Um, I got a scholarship to go to Penn State to wrestle, got in a little bit of trouble. Um, I boxed when I was younger. Of course, I played football. And then uh, it wasn't until after college where I really started to fall in love with, like, jiu-jitsu and the ground game. Um, and then... I decided to try my hand at MMA. Uh, to be honest, it was more so like I was tired of seeing good friends of mine like succeeding, doing very well, and me kind of being a coulda, woulda, shoulda. Right. So I was like, you know what, you know, pull my bootstraps up and see what it's about, and I fell in love with it. So you know, now I, I love jujitsu. I'm a black belt in jujitsu. I got my jujitsu black belt December 18th. It's awesome. Um, and then 10 pro fights in. I had six amateur fights, um, 
And then more recent, you know, I had one amateur boxing fight as well. But again, like I said, I boxed when I was a, a child as well. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. And of course, you know, my brother always beating me up and his friends <laughs> beating me up, kind of helped me, you know, sure. get in MMA and make me a little tougher. So. Gotcha. That's awesome. So you uh, mentioned how you wrestled um, coming up and you boxed a little and now you're a big jiu-jitsu guy. Uh, and anybody that's watched your fights, they um, when they see you in that grappling, you're very, uh, you take over. You're very good at that position. So I kind of want to ask you, though, what would you, how would you describe your fighting style? Well, first, I appreciate what you said. Um, secondly, I would say um I mean, I'm a, I'm a wrestler at heart, um, but I'm a, I'm a freestyle fighter. So, you know, obviously, I, it's, fight starts on your feet. So you got to be able to handle yourself on your feet, you know, with punches, kicks, elbows, knees, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, of course, if you start losing that battle, then you got to go in, you know, to your nature. And my nature is wrestling. But with that being said, um, I'm comfortable being on the ground. I'm comfortable being on my back. So... It doesn't really bother me too much, like if I would have to pull guard, like if by chance I couldn't get the takedown. Um, so it's hard to kind of categorize, like for myself, what I think I am because I try to make myself comfortable in the most uncomfortable positions. Okay. So again, whether I'm in danger or whether I'm not, you know, I try to be comfortable. I may not be the best in every part of the sport, but I try to be comfortable and have a solid game on every aspect of the sport. You did win your fight by unanimous decision versus Larry Lawrence in what was a very dominant three-round uh, fight. You showed zero signs of slowing down. Uh, you were able to beat him striking on your feet, grappling him on the mat. Can you talk about that fight maybe a little and how you've been able to look back and uh, improve for your next bout? Yeah, actually, that fight... Um, so, I haven't had a fight that hasn't had adversity and with that fight in particular, I, I'm right-handed, and I broke my right hand wow. uh, about a week and a half. So the Monday, yeah, about a week and a half prior to the fight. And so it was hard to, you know, kind of change your game plan and rearrange everything so you wouldn't really be able to use your hand. There were a few times where I used my right hand in that fight, and I felt it. And, you know, there's <laughs> things where, you know, you just got to kind of try to block it out and sure. go around it. Um so I knew a big part of my game plan was to get him to think on the feet. We we're, you know, to be striking, you know, go high, go low. And then he actually came in pretty quick with, I believe it was a big left hook. And I ducked it and I was able to take his back right off the um, the bat in the first round. So then after that, you know, kind of everything transitioned. Um, but, you know, there's, there's always you learn from everything. And, you know, there's uh, like... In particular, that first round, I had his back for a while, and instead of coming up, I was too comfortable being on my back because um, I, I had his back, and then as he started to roll out, I was like, okay, I'm fine here. You know, hindsight 2020, it would have been nice to get back up on top to where now I have more control. I could land more strikes. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I believe that adversity only makes you stronger. Um and whether you face the same thing again or if you face something different, you know, you're going to have a foundation to be able to overcome it now. February 18th in Atlantic City, you will fight in your 11th professional bout for the featherweight world title against the 6-2 and two champion from Staten Island, Dennis the Great Bazooka. I guess I want to ask you first, how's your, how's your weight right now? 
This weight cut is a little bit harder. Um, you know, unfortunately, when you know you lift, you tend to gain a little bit more sure. weight. Um, but it, it's going well. Um, actually, weighed out the lightest uh, since my last fight last night, yesterday. Good. So, uh, weight's coming off pretty good. I know the last few pounds are definitely going to suck. Um, my opponent's big as well, too, though. So I know he's going to be cutting a lot of weight. Cool. Um, but the good thing about that is we get 24 hours. You know, we'll weigh right. in. This this fight is actually on a Friday, so we'll weigh in on a Thursday night. We'll have at least 24 hours to rehydrate, replenish, and then you know be able to go out there and dance. Yeah, that should definitely help. Uh, so Dennis Bazooka, I hope I'm saying that right. Yep. Um, he's 10 years younger than you. Uh, he has a two-inch height advantage. He's coming off of a two-win fight streak. He's also fought in Dana White's Contender Series. He's um, been with Bellator. All of that being said, um, in my opinion, I think this is one of your most difficult opponents you've had uh, to take on in your pro um, career. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, um, he's definitely experienced. He trains at a really good camp, uh, Sarah Longo, and uh, the bantamweight world champion trains there. There's a lot of good guys that train there, so he's a lot of good drill partners. He actually corners a lot of guys that are in the UFC. Um, I got into fighting for quite a few reasons. A, I feel like it's my best platform to spread the gospel, but B, I, I like to push myself. I like to test myself. Um, I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, I, I want to fight the best so that if I beat the best, I know where I stand. If I lose to the best, I know where I stand. Um, he he's probably i would say the most credentialed right now okay. because of everything that he's done my last opponent was also a dana white uh contender series alum um and then a guy i lost to twice is a bellator fighter so you know i've i fought a few good guys but you know i had a, a, a few canceled fights within the past almost year you know after my april fight and um one was against a UFC vet, you know, so it's like I want to push myself against these guys. I want to be able to test myself, you know. My biggest thing is, you know, after college, I got in trouble at Penn State, so I never actually got to wrestle. I became a coulda, woulda, shoulda. Sure. And that's the one thing, because I started MMA late. You know, I started it real late. I went down a wrong road and made a bunch of wrong decisions and hung out with the wrong crowds. And finally, you know, I I just didn't want to live that coulda, woulda, shoulda. And so now I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I expect to win. But I'm, I also, you know, I'm, I'm doing this so that I can never be a coulda, woulda, shoulda. I would rather fail than to say, oh, I could have done this or I would have right. done this or I should have done this. You know, succeed or fail regardless, you know, like I'm I'm trying to make sure I go out there and actually do it. Well, I know everyone here at WZIP, as well as the city of Akron, certainly cheering you on. Wish you the best of luck as you finish your training. Go to Staten Island and bring the featherweight championship home. Thank you. Thank you. Can you maybe tell the people uh, how they might be able to watch the fight and stay updated on your career? Uh, Yeah, if you go to ringofcombat.com, I know that I'm not exactly sure what their stream or or how they do that. Um, I was trying to look into it a little bit, but... uh, if you go there, check them out. I'm sure you know you can find a stream. Um, if you want to drive the seven and a half, eight hours <laughs> to the Tropicana in Atlantic City, you know you can watch me. And then maybe make a little bit of money gambling. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, uh, yeah, and then if 
I actually don't have a Facebook anymore, but I have an Instagram, uh, Rock and Roller, and uh, it's R-O-C-K-I-N-R-O-H-L-E-R. And the only thing you're really going to see on there, I post a little bit about me, but I mostly post about Jesus. I mostly post scriptures because, again, uh, this platform that I have, I try not to use for me. I try to use for him. So my job is to tell the truth and to speak the truth, and uh, that's all I'm really trying to do. So. Awesome. Thank you again for taking the time for this interview. Thank you for listening to Sports Power Talk. You've been listening to Josh Roller and Alex Henry. We'll be right back with more SBT. What's going on, everyone? We are back with more Sports Power Talk. My name is Jake. I'm the host of today's show alongside Dan Groen. What it do? And Alex Henry. Hello, everybody. So, Alex, we just heard that interview with Josh Rockin' Roller. How was that interview, and what were your takeaways from speaking with Roller? Yeah, Josh is a cool guy. I'm very glad I got to meet him. Uh, I appreciate him doing that podcast. Uh, make sure you listen to the podcast. He talks. Yes. About, he yes. uh, he calls out Conor McGregor, um, <laughs> talks a, a little bit about like his religious aspect in his life, and just a bunch of other stuff. So it's a pretty good um, podcast to listen to. Yeah, and uh, subscribe to SBT Overtime. Yeah, plug. Yeah, exactly. Plug button yet? Yeah, we just played uh, ten minutes of this little snippet of the best parts, but a lot more out of that interview on our podcast, SBT Overtime. Good luck, good luck to Josh uh, as yeah. he goes and tries to bring the championship home. Absolutely. Good luck to Josh on Friday night. And you said something about how he has like a 0% chance, according to... Yeah, Tabology, which is a... Uh, it's a all right website to look at analytics for uh, MMA. He's the main event, and they are, they're giving him a 0% chance. So How's that even possible? I, I like That's those odds. Just... I mean, even like... <laughs> If it was Conor McGregor versus me, you know, I wouldn't win. But at the same time, I maybe like I should, 1%? there's a chance maybe he, like, breaks his leg, you know, on you or something. <laughs> there's a big yeah, chance yeah, that happens. You know, right? I mean, I would at least want, like, 0.1%, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe get a strike. They're doing him Give dirty. me my They're respect. Doing him dirty. You know? They're doing him dirty. I can wrestle. Right? <laughs> no, I, I can't. <laughs> so, yeah, go check out Josh Roller's interview. Um Good luck to him on Friday, but that's enough of MMA talk on today's show, and we're going to get right into basketball with our very own Akron Zips. They went 1-1 one one this week with a win against Northern Illinois and an unfortunate loss against Kent State. They are currently the fourth team in the Mid-American Conference, and uh, yeah, so we'll start on a high note with Northern Illinois before we talk about the game with Kent State, but... Northern Illinois, it was a great road win. We won 70-64. to 64. Enrique Freeman, double-double machine as always, scored 21 points and had 13 rebounds. Uh, Xavier Castaneda and Greg Tribble scored in double digits as well. Any takeaways from this Northern Illinois road win? Uh, well, I'm going to preface this by I didn't necessarily watch that, but it is a good win to have because... Obviously, it's in the MAC, and you want to have as many MAC wins as possible because everything else doesn't really matter. So, even though Akron was pretty heavily favored in this, still a good win to have nonetheless, especially yeah. when your schedule kind of gets a little bit tougher. Uh, we'll kind of take a look at that later. But yeah. um, after that, there are a couple more challenging games, so you want to win the games that you definitely can. Yeah, and we do play Northern Illinois this Thursday. So, we will see them very soon, and that's going to be at the JAR 
on our very own home court. Honestly, it was just a close and competitive game the entire time, but we really never lost a step. We were there the entire time. Uh, We had a 52.5% field goal percentage with 40% from beyond the arc, so we were very efficient from the field throughout the entire game, and it was a nice win and confidence booster going into the rivalry game against the Electric Chickens, as is very well known here at WZIP. So it was a 66-64 to loss. But before we get into the game, I want to hear from John Gross, Akron's head coach, and we'll hear his post-game comments, and then we'll be right back with our takes with the Kent State and Akron Zips game. Here is head coach John Gross. Obviously, unbelievable college basketball game. Best environment that we've had in here since I've been the coach over five years. So give our administration, fans, students, uh, the environment was awesome. Uh, It was really neat. And I appreciate everybody that came out. They saw a heck of a college basketball game. You know, if you're someone that, you know, didn't care whether or not who won or who lost, uh, you were extremely entertained. Uh, Unfortunately, we care. Um, and just didn't make enough plays to win it. Give them credit. They made a few more. I thought uh, defensively we were better in the first half. Offensively, we were really good in the second half. Um, But they could probably say the same thing. I thought defensively they caused us problems in the first half, and I thought in the second half, you know, the statistics show our offense was way better, so they probably feel like their defense was better in the first half as well. So it was much more of a defensive first half, uh, much more of an offensive second half. Um, really give our guys credit, four and eight. And I thought they had a lot of energy, played with a lot of toughness, and had a completely different field in game one. You know, I felt like they were the tougher team in game one. Um, and um, tonight I thought it was toe-to-toe. It was like a boxing match out there. And, um, you know, again, give them credit. They just made a few more plays than we did. But uh, our guys made a lot of them. And uh, I'm proud of our team's effort, our team's toughness. You know, I thought the difference in the game for us was the first half where 12 of their 30 were off our turns, and Enrique Freeman played about seven minutes in the first half. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, could we have played him more with two fouls? Maybe we did that at Toledo and rolled the dice, and he got his third. And so... You know, we, I, I kind of had in my mind that as long as the game was within a possession or two, that I, we were going to wait and not run that risk. You know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. You can always evaluate and come up with something different after the game's over, after it turns out the way it does. But I thought those were two huge factors for us. Our turnovers in the first half that led to 12 of their 30, uh, and Enrique playing only, I think it was seven minutes in the first half. Right, that was head coach John Gross of our very own Akron Zips basketball team. Didn't sound very defeated after the 66-64 to loss against our arch rival Kent State. It was a great basketball game, like he was saying. A lot went into this game, but I want to hear what you guys have to say uh, about this rivalry loss against the Electric Chickens. I'll go to you, Alex, first. Yeah, first off, good job, everybody at Akron that showed up. The jar was electric. Uh, on Friday night, for sure. Uh, Enrique Freeman, he he was it was k- kind of pretty sad um, because he was getting in so much penalty trouble. Uh, they coach kind of wanted to take him out, but he still yet yeah, even 
though, only playing seven minutes in the uh, first, got 21 points, uh, 13 rebounds, two assists. So that was pretty, yeah, pretty nice. Double double machine. Even though he only played seven minutes in the first half, he actually had 21 points and 13 rebounds against Northern Illinois as well. So just a monster week for Enrique Freeman. And then uh, speaking of those fouls, I I kind of found the officiating very inconsistent all game. It seemed like they were calling a lot of fouls that I didn't agree with, and then vice versa. There were a lot of no calls uh, that should have been calls, not not just on our side, just kind of all over. Um, but you know me, I don't like to blame the refs for a loss, and there was a lot more wrong with the zips in this. Uh, they, had a, they had way too many turnovers. Uh, they committed too many fouls at the wrong times, as you guys were saying. And I've noticed it also took really long too long to get into plays on the offensive end, especially when you're going up against a team that was 58% from behind the arc. You can't yeah. be taking your time. you got to be playing at the same pace that they are. Yeah, and Kent State really came out firing. Um, it just seemed like they couldn't miss and everything was going in, and we had a tough time keeping up with them, especially with our best player, Enrique Freeman, sitting on the bench with that foul trouble like we've been mentioning. Um, also, you know, you had... Ali Ali and Brian Trimble Jr. They scored in double digits. They both had 11 points each. Uh, Kent State, they shot 58.8% from beyond the arc. So they really just lit us up from three-point range. Uh, Xavier Castaneda, a guy we can usually rely on to have a great game. He had a rough one, only two for eight shooting the entire game. And, of course, he had the, the ball in his hands during the last possession of the game. It was a wild game tying air ball shot that he tried to force rather yeah, than spreading was, the ball around. He I just, was not a fan of that at all. Yeah, it, it was honestly hard to watch because you were like, okay, what? He, he has the ball, a couple seconds left. So we're down by two. We need to make a shot. And you know, you would think we would try and get it down low into the paint or at least pass the ball once. Um, yeah. Instead, Xavier dribbles it into the midcourt, shoots a, a spot up two, and completely air balls it, which was unfortunate. Uh, ends up sealing the loss for the Zips. And then I want to get your guys' takes on what Kent State did when they when they won. Oh, God, yeah. The- so if you didn't know or if you haven't seen the clip, Kent State, all their players rushed over to our very own student section at the JAR and were waving, talking trash. People had to get held back from both sides. It was honestly a rough scene, but in a rivalry game, you can almost expect that. And I understand both sides. It was a little bit disrespectful, but at the same time, it was a rivalry game. So I, how do you guys feel about it? I mean, as an Akron fan, I I hated it, you know, but it is a strong rivalry. And I think the students actually, I wasn't there for it. I was watching on ESPN. Yep. Um, but I did hear that the students were throwing, someone threw something on the court, and I think we got teed up for it. Or almost got teed up. I'm not sure exactly what the sequence was. So it was it was pretty pretty intense on both ends. Yeah. And I just I, I was not a fan of how the electric chickens came up to our student section and taunted them like that. A lot of, you know, middle fingers being thrown and everything, a lot of a lot of words being exchanged. Um, but kinda like you were saying, it's I guess it's what you expect in such a such a huge rivalry. No respect. Uh, for the electric chickens. Yeah, uh, you guys are, you know, you're college basketball players. Um, you're on ESPN. You know it. Big, big game. Uh, 
let, let the fans chirp. I'm not saying they're in the right because they're not. Um, but, I mean, come on. Come on. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Akron, like Akron would never chicken. do that. No, of course, never. Yeah. I'm right I'm right there with you guys. Uh, it was it was tough to see. Um, still, Kent State, Kent Reed, Kent Wright. Uh, just, I really hope we honestly run into them in the MAC tournament. Me That'd too. be a great time. And we're 0-2 against them this season. It is what it is. Mm-mm. And now we're behind them in the MAC. We are fourth, and Kent State is now third. So we're going to be right we there with them. We will be getting our revenge the in the MAC tournament in Cleveland. That would be great. My words. That would be great. I would I would want that revenge game so much. And this was the quote-unquote revenge game for us. For sure. We're getting double revenge. Yeah, couldn't get, it, most. couldn't get it nope. done. Hey, third time's, third time's a chance. Third time right? is a charm. Yeah, third time's a charm. Exactly. So the max standings right now as they stand, it is Ohio, number one, and then followed up by the Toledo Rockets, and then, as I said, Kent State and Akron. Now, we've been talking on the show a lot about how Toledo's been pretty dom- dominant and how they might win the MAC conference altogether. Who do you guys like in the MAC standings and why? Are you leaning towards Ohio, Toledo, uh, maybe a late Kent State push or Akron right there in the mix? I, I really can't say who I think is going to end up winning the MAC because I think it's going to be really close. Yeah. Um, obviously, Toledo and Ohio are the top two dogs right now, but. That's not to say that Akron can't find their footing or that Kent State can't ride their hot streak and win it all. I think Mm -hmm. that it is going to come down to probably those four. If I were to choose right now, I'd probably give it to Toledo because they've been playing lights out. They've beaten Akron. They've also beat Ohio, who was the top team in the MAC at the time. So I would probably give it to them if I had to choose right now, but... That's not to say that it's a lock by any means. It's true. Uh, I would agree with uh, Toledo. They're 10-0 at home. They've just been playing great basketball. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I would I would give it to any team in the top five right now. Yeah. Uh, it's really not a clear, clear case. Yeah. I think it's really going to come down to the tournament and who has the hot streak going into it because that momentum definitely matters come tournament time. But we talked about how Akron is 0-2 against Kent State. Well, the Ohio Bobcats are 0-2 against the Toledo Rockets. So I really do like Toledo. Um, they just got firepower all over the court. They sit at number two right now. But I think they might be number one come the end of the season and especially going in to the tournament. So that'll do it for our Zips basketball talk. Let's get right into the Cleveland Cavaliers we have had much. The Cavs are back. The Cavs Ca- are back. Cavs are back. They had a much better week than the Zips. The Zips went one and one. Nothing bad, but the Cavs, man, they're third in the Eastern Conference right now. And we'll start off with the big news that broke last Sunday, just a couple hours after we went on the air. We talked about it on the air. But Karis Levert is officially a Cleveland Cavalier. He's played in a couple games already. So the trade that went down. The Cavs obviously received Karis LeVert and a 2022 second-round pick from the Pacers. And the Pacers got Ricky Rubio, who was out for the year, a 2022 first-round pick, a 2022 second-round pick, and then a 2027 second-round pick as well. How do we feel about this Karis LeVert trade? Are we happy with it? And what does it mean for our team? I really like it because immediately we got the better end of the trade. Uh, because Ricky Rubio, he's out for the season and is a restricted free agent. We gave up a couple late picks that at this point we really don't value anymore. 
And what we got in Levert was a floor-spreading uh, wing player that they really needed, that I thought they could have used all season. And in his first couple games, we saw that impact right away, where a lot, a lot of the criticism that he got was because of his inconsistency on defense. But I was actually pretty impressed with how he played defensively in the couple games that he's played with us so far. And he's just been all over the floor so far. He's, you know, been adding a lot of spacing to it. And I think that we really got a good player in him to uh, help us uh, try to make a deep playoff run. Yeah, I do agree with you. Um, Immediate impact, especially in the game against the Pacers, the second game against the Pacers. The first one was on that Sunday night. Uh, Karis LeVert didn't play for either team, obviously, because he had just gotten traded. Uh, Darius Garland was out as well. It was a 98-85 win for the Cavs, but it wasn't without much drama because the we outscored the Pacers 37-17 to mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and we were down 27-12 to after the first quarter. That fourth quarter, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. That, that was wild. The Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse was blowing the roof off that place. Um, 19-0 run to begin the quarter, and really it was Kevin Love and Jetty Osman lighting it up from beyond the arc. Kevin Love had 19 points, and Jetty Osmond was actually the leading scorer for the Cavs yep. with 22. Um, anything else to say about that fourth quarter? It when, was just insane. When Kevin Love did that behind-the-back pass to Jetty Osmond, oh, oh my goodness. I passed away. I really did. Oh, I've never nasty. seen anything like that in a very long time. It it was just the, the cherry on top of an insane fourth quarter. And then, of course, Jetty knocks down the three, and then the Every single fan gets on their feet and goes crazy. Yeah, it was just an insane game. Uh, we would carry that momentum into a win against the San Antonio Spurs, which featured the return of all-star Darius Garland. If we mention Darius Garland, just put all-star in front of it. From of now course, on, yes. Please. Fair enough. All-star Darius Garland returned, uh, had 27 points, 6 assists, and 5 rebounds in the 105-92 to win against the Spurs. Uh, Karis LeVert, that was his debut for the Cavs. Only 11 points. He was 4 from 11 from the field. But honestly, that's kind of expected when you get to a new team coming off the bench and all that. So any takeaways from the Spurs game, guys? Uh, Even though he only had 11 points off the bench, like I was saying earlier, his intangibles were pretty impressive. Because like I said, I really liked how he was all over the floor. Uh, He hit his first shot was a 3. So another one of his um, kind of concerns was his consistency of shooting. Uh, but I really liked the spacing that he brought. And it's even though the Spurs have been struggling a lot, it's never easy to go up against a Greg Popovich coach team that's always played a really good team brand of basketball. And so it's always a good win to have when you're going up against them. Absolutely. So it was a great win at home with a returning all-star, Darius Garland. Darius Garland did miss the next game, but it was I think it was more so just because they had a back-to-back with I the Pacers so, and yeah. 76ers. They said it was day-to-day with his back pain. Um, but honestly, we just had a back-to-back. The harder game was against the 76ers, so they decided to sit him against the Pacers. And it didn't matter because it was a 120-113 to win for the Cavs as well. Uh, honestly, the same storyline from the first Pacers win. Pretty much. We were down 47-28 to after the first quarter. Good. Lord. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was an ugly first quarter. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, we outscored the Pacers 32-17. to 17. So very characteristic of the first game. And Karis LeVert playing his former team in Andy, Indi, Indiana. My goodness. 
in Indiana. He scored 22 points and was 10 from 19 from the field. Definitely carried the Cavs, especially in that fourth quarter and on the defensive side of the ball, too. Yeah. So, uh, anything for the second Pacers win of last week? It just went to show how investing heavily in depth in our bench and veteran presence there Mm -hmm. has really paid off. That was probably the biggest concern, aside from having enough bigs to start Mm -hmm. uh, for the last couple years. But since we've invested heavily in getting Rubio, who we flipped for uh, Levert, uh, we ended up getting Rondo for really not much of anything. It was definitely, it definitely showed that having that veteran presence on the bench is super important, and it really paid off. Yeah, I um, I want to talk about Rondo. I lo- he's one yes. of my favorite players, um, just in NBA history. I've mm-hmm. been watching him since I was little. I'm not saying he's one of the best, but he um, I think he needed Cleveland um mm-hmm. more than we really needed him necessarily. But I think it's helping both Cleveland and Rondo. Yeah, I like uh, that take. Just having his presence there on the court um is really good. And he, I mean, he's playing a great game still. Uh, he he had mentioned he he thought about retiring um, before uh, he went to the Cavs, and I'm very happy that he uh, he didn't do that. Yeah, he showed he's showed that you know it, we don't even need. Well, I'm not going to say that, but we can win games with our depth, even when All Star Darius Garland and Thank other you. players Thank that you. are injured, yeah, sure. of course, are out with injury. It's you know there's nothing more important than yeah. having good depth. Next man up mentality. I really like that take. Rajon Rondo needed us, but we also needed him. Um, and Rondo in that game against the Pacers had 17 points, six assists, and seven rebounds off the bench. He was also six for seven off the from the field, so very efficient as well. Gave us that extra boost. Uh, Jarrett Allen also scored 22 points and had 14 rebounds. It was just a great team win overall. Mm-hmm. And scoring 32 in that fourth quarter was essential and really um, nailed the Pacers in the coffin. Got us that win. And then we go up against the 76ers last night. All-star Darius Garland did return, and unfortunately we couldn't get it done. It was a 103-93 to loss. I'll, do you guys, I'll go to you guys first. Um, what did you think of the 76ers game? Well, the Cavs were too hot and cold offensively, and they couldn't keep up with Embiid. Yeah. And... You know, when you when you get down like that, you might be able to pull off a comeback or two or three against a team like the Pacers. But when you're going up against a team that has just as high of expectations as the Cavs do, and when they got an MVP caliber, an MVP contender in Joel Embiid, and such a good defense, it's a lot harder to try to pull off that comeback. Um, the Sixers defensively, they did a really good job at kind of plugging up the front court and forcing Garland to do everything, uh, which he did really well on, but unfortunately that wasn't enough for the Cavs. And kind of like the Zips in that game against the Electric Chickens, uh, every time the Cavs got something going, the Sixers had an answer. And so that's something that's a little bit concerning, but I, I have faith that they'll definitely bounce back. And if they end up playing each other, I think it'll be a very, very good matchup in the playoffs. Uh, we've definitely lost to better teams, uh, so it wasn't a very good loss because um, there are good losses every now and then. But yeah. uh, it's very rare in the NBA when a player like Joel Embiid has a game like that 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 team loses. 
Uh, mm-hmm. He was just he was just going off. It was going to be he had very a triple hard. Double, I believe. Triple yeah. double, forty points, ten assists, and fourteen rebounds for the big man. Very hard to stop just a player like that, and especially when the whole team kind of revolves around him like they do. Uh, yeah, Cavs. Like you said, Dan, they were very hot and cold. Uh, yeah. I'm not too upset about this game though. Darius Garland had 27 points in the win. Only one assist from Garland. That's kind of what I was shocked by. Mm. Uh, Karis LeVert came off the bench. She had a tough night shooting the ball. But, like, as I said, that's kind of expected. He'll get into the rhythm with the Cavs here shortly, I, I would assume. In your guys' opinions, should LeVert replace, like, a, an Akuro or a Wade in the starting lineup? Or do you like him coming off the bench? Because... I think right now it might be a little bit of an awkward rotation we have going on. Personally, I like Okoro starting because he also kind of brings that spacing and his defense, defense yeah. is obviously his biggest asset. And so I would not, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say, but personally, I would keep Okoro in the in the lineup, in the starting lineup, and then Levert coming off the bench with a lot of those other guys to bring that spacing and to bring that offensive efficiency. That's just my take. I, I wouldn't mind uh Levert starting. I'd like yeah. to uh, I'd like to see them experiment with it actually. Uh this is, you know, a playoff team. We want to kind of see what we're going to be able to do. Uh and it it could be a better situation, so who knows. Yeah, I'm right there with you Alex. I think Karis Levert should be in the starting lineup. Obviously they can experiment with it. We have the All-Star break coming up soon, so they can definitely mess with things then. But my ideal starting lineup right now, at least, would be Darius Garland, Karis LeVert. And then when Laurie Markkinen gets healthy, I'd put him in there alongside our big men, Evan Mobley and um, Jared Allen. Tower City, as I like to call him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would really like that starting lineup. And of course, like if we need a defensive heavy lineup, whether it's late in the game, we need to stop. Of course, take Karis LeVert out and put Isaac Akuro in. Yeah. Um, that would make sense. But to at least start games, I'd like to see how that lineup would would fare. So and starting lineups, they're not like a like a hard, you know, thing. It's like they, yeah. they, they switch out all the time. So, yeah. it's, you know. And honestly, I think Kevin Love even has a case to start over Dean Wade. But Kevin Love is that sixth man. He has taken that role. And he's not going to be a starter probably again for the Cavs unless there's so many injuries to where he would be forced to. Um, but, yeah, he's been embracing that role quite well. And after the 76ers lost, the Cavs were number two in the East. They did slip down just one spot into third place. They sit behind the Heat and the Bulls right now. And then behind the Cavs are the Bucks and the 76ers. And the 76ers, even though they're in fifth place in the East, they're only two and a half games back from first place. So it just shows how tight-knit those top five teams are in the Eastern Conference. Going into the All-Star break, the Cavs only have one more game against the Atlanta Hawks this Tuesday night at Atlanta. Hopefully we're all healthy and good for that game. And all-star Darius Garland will hopefully play in that one too. But we'll see how that goes. So I'll do it for Cavs and Zip Stock here on SPT. When we come back, we'll be talking about the NBA trade deadline and all the madness that happened on Thursday. As well as some hockey news, right? Yeah, and we'll we'll have a little bit of a hockey minute with Dan um, or a power play with Dan in the next segment as well. And also, the All-Star Weekend, the teams were drafted. We'll be talking about all the festivities going on next weekend in the NBA. We'll be right back with more SBT. What's going on, everyone? We are back with more Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show this side 
of Lake Erie. My name is Jake Murren. I'm the host of today's show. Joining me are my analysts, Dan Groen. Good afternoon, y'all. And Alex Henry. Hello. All right, guys. Let's get right into the NBA trade deadline madness that happened on Thursday. Um, let's start off right off the bat with the James Harden and Ben Simmons blockbuster trade that happened on Thursday. So the Nets, they received uh, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, a 2022 first-round pick, and a 2027 first-round pick as well. And then the 76ers, they received James Harden and Paul Millsap. A lot of people are debating who won this trade, who lost this trade. Personally, I think both teams benefited how do you guys think this big Harden Simmons blockbuster went down? I actually agree with you. I think that both teams definitely benefited from, you know, switching players around for a change of scenery. Um, a lot of it did come with addition by subtraction. I think Harden definitely needed out of out of Brooklyn, even though he needs out of everywhere anymore. But whatever. And uh, Ben Simmons. That whole saga is over. I'm just, I'm glad that he's not a Cavalier because we've had those rumors for a while now that they were interested in trading Sexton and someone else for Ben Simmons. Yeah. And I was heavily opposed to that. Uh, so I'm just glad that that whole thing is over. And kind of, I've kind of noticed that it almost seems like this whole super team era is kind of coming to an end. Now it's like a duo. Because era. now it seems like, I, I know that this trade was supposed to be like the biggest storyline of the season the biggest but it's at this point i'm not even surprised that that happened just because we've seen it time and time again where all these superstar players with big egos who are playing with other you know two or three or four other uh superstars like somehow it doesn't work somehow there's no chemistry like you know huge shocker there right and so and they're being quietly surpassed by all these homegrown teams like the cavaliers like the bucks like the Suns, even even the grizzlies and so I feel like that a lot of it is starting to come to an end now. I feel like there's a lot of these trades are kind of blowing up a lot of these super teams again. And I don't know. I'm just kind of glad to see that that era kind of seems to be going on the decline now. Yeah, I was surprised that they got the deal done because it was rumored days before, even with like the exact players, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond were rumored on either Monday or Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Um, I just didn't think they were going to come to an agreement. It just didn't seem like it was happening. And then all of a sudden on Thursday, a woes bomb on Twitter, and then boom, trade's done. Alex, what are your takes on the Harden and Simmons trade? I uh, I would lean towards, I think, the 76ers won uh, the trade. Uh, it was very beneficial for both teams, but if I were to pick somebody who won, I would say the Sixers, I uh, they needed to get rid of Simmons, like, yeah. bad. And they replaced him with an all-star in James Harden. Um, is James Harden the same James Harden he was? No, but if he can get to Philadelphia, lay off of the Philly cheesesteaks, <laughs> maybe take off 76 pounds, <laughs> then he, he, we're talking another good, like, James Harden. He's really going to help this oh, team, man. I think. So uh, if they can find that chemistry there, Embiid and Harden, that's going to be quite the duo. Oh, yeah. I hate towards James Harden. I love it. <laughs> So, Kendrick Perkins went out on a limb and said that Philadelphia has the best duo in the game of basketball with James Harden and Joel Embiid. Uh, we know Embiid just put up a triple-double against the Cavs last night with 40 points. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, 
it, does this statement ring true to you guys? Do you think they are the best duo in the game of basketball right now, or do we think there's a a different duo out there that resides in the NBA that might be a little bit better? I think on paper they're probably the best, but obviously we have to see how that chemistry builds, of course, because you never know. It might just be another Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid type of thing. So we'll see, but it definitely is a duo that I fear. I, um, yeah, and a lot of duos are getting broken up now. Uh, Damian Lillard. That was sad. We'll, uh, we'll get to that in a second as well, yeah. too. I don't know. I, I still really like LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Um, I like Middleton and Antetokounmpo. I don't know. Maybe. We'll have to see. So yeah. I'm going to take a, maybe an underdog pick here, but Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Are an insane duo. I think just casually, Chris Paul put up 19 assists in a game recently. Um, they're laying it up in Phoenix, best record in the entire NBA. So I'm going to go with them until I at least see what James Harden and Joel Embiid have to offer, but certainly could be dangerous. And as a Cavs fan, it's kind of tough because you see the Nets and 76ers as competition. And if both teams got better from this trade, then that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. But again, the Cavs kind of just have to focus on themselves here. But I do think both teams got better. Do we like the new trio of Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving when Kevin Durant does come back? Uh, personally, I don't. I think, again, really? on paper, I think it might work out. And maybe they do get their season back on track now that they got rid of that hardened distraction. But I just don't know about the chemistry between Simmons and Kyrie, who both already have pretty big egos who both think that they should be the number one guy and then you add Kevin Durant to that so I I just don't know how I like that chemistry obviously on paper it's one of the best teams there is but again I, it yeah. just all comes down to are they going to mesh well together and now they have depth with the trade with the 76ers getting Seth Curry and Andre Drummond could be big as well yeah Alex how do you how do you see Ben Simmons KD and Kyrie playing out I agree with Dan I um I think it's a uh, team full of divas, and uh, I don't actually. I I do think that Ben Simmons will do better um, with the Nets, but I don't think this is the system that he needed, um, that he wanted to shine in. Um, I I don't know. I I think, I think Simmons is a lot better when he's not like the guy. Yeah, because like when when he won Rookie of the Year like a million times or whatever it was. Um, you know, they had a lot of high hopes for him, but he's kind of since plateaued. And so he's not like, you know, your typical team leading guard right. that maybe they had thought he would be. So I think that if he's kind of on a team where others are kind of elevating him, I think that'll help. But kind of like you were saying, you know, will it mesh? Will all those personalities get well together? Yeah. And I think Ben Simmons, obviously, the big storyline around him is he can't shoot doesn't have a good and reliable jump shot at all, or it doesn't even exist. But with the Nets, I don't think he's going to be required to have one or develop one. The Nets got Seth Curry, who's a shooter. They have Patty Mills, who's even competing in the three-point contest. And when KD and Kyrie Irving are on the floor together, they're going to be demanding the ball a lot too. And now they have Ben Simmons, who can complement that and give them the ball in those big moments. It's a great team to have on 2K. But yeah, unfortunately, the NBA doesn't operate like we'll, that. We'll see how it plays out. I do think it has a better chance of being successful than not successful. 
And honestly, I would just love to see Ben Simmons just explode into an all-star caliber player and just kind of rub it in, in the 76ers' faces because I know there's a lot on Ben Simmons' side, but I think the 76ers didn't help the situation either. And I'd love for Ben Simmons to uh, turn it around, become a great player, and kind of just show the 76ers off and say, hey, you traded me, you didn't want me, and now look at me now. So, Well, he didn't want them. He sat out all season, didn't he? So far yeah. this season, but there was a lot going on at the end of last anymore. year. You don't know. Yeah, there was a lot going on last year with that, the whole playoff situation, him not wanting to take an open shot. And the 76ers... That's why I'm kind of kind of disagreeing with you. It's like, well, we'll see what happens. I don't want him to we'll, break away, but uh, I don't know. I just I don't think like... his confidence was shot. It doesn't help when the 76ers organization, top players, and head coach are blaming one player for their Hell entire yeah, series right. loss. I mean, mental health is a serious thing, and I think his mental health was at an all-time low on the 76ers, and why would you want to play on a team that the head coach is even saying, yeah, you're the fault we lost. Uh, yeah, you're the true. reason. So that's why I put more of the blame on the 76ers, but at the same time, you hear some things where Ben Simmons could have just gone to the gym a couple of days and, and reestablished that connection with the 76ers. But ultimately, both teams got what they want. I do like the trade for both sides. Some other trades that happened in the NBA, there were a lot, but we'll get on to the, the main ones at least. So... As you mentioned, Alex, the C.J. McCollum trade, he was traded to the New Orleans Pelicans. So the Pelicans received C.J. McCollum and Larry Nance Jr., as well as Tony Snell. And then the Blazers received uh, Nikel Alexander-Walker, Josh Hart, Didi Luzada, Thomas Sartanaski, and some a couple of picks as well. And they moved some of those parts and players as well. And then Larry Nance is out of the year with surgery. Um, breaking up that CJ and Damian Lillard connection in Portland. That's kind of rough to see, but Mm -hmm. new beginnings for CJ in New Orleans. How do you guys feel about that one? Uh, Well, his name has come up a lot in trade rumors over the last couple of years, so I'm not like super shocked at this trade, but it is sad to see that era ending in Portland. I've always liked Portland, mostly because of him. Yeah, I like McCollum both as a player and as a Northeast Ohio Big guy. Big Browns fan. Yeah, so it's also it's always nice to see him still holding pride uh, about being from the three three zero, of course. Uh, but it is unfortunate to see because I've, like I said, I've liked the Blazers. I haven't watched them a ton, but I would have considered them if I had to choose a second team. It probably would have been them. So just unfortunate to see that era end. But I think that Pelicans definitely got a pretty good, pretty good. Um, return for that. Yeah, I do agree with you. Other trade that went down was for DeMontis Sabonis. The Kings traded for DeMontis Sabonis. They also got Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, and a 2023 second round pick. And in return, they sent Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson to the Pacers. A lot of controversy around this trade. A lot of um, Pacers fans happy about getting Tyrese Halliburton, and a lot of Kings fans not so happy about giving him up in return. Personally, I don't hate the trade, but giving up Holly Burton, even Buddy Heald, too. Buddy Heald's a pretty good and established player so far in the league. So, uh, Pacers get better. Kings, it's still up in the air. Uh, in terms of winners and losers of the NBA trade deadline, give me at least one winner and loser that you guys have coming out of the NBA trade deadline. Uh, I'd probably say winner is probably Indiana because they got a pretty pretty good return there. Uh, they are kind of in the midst of a rebuild right now that they're already doing pretty well on. 
And losers, I'd say the Kings probably because yep. how many times are they going to hit the reset button before the reset even establishes itself? You know, why do you, why do you get rid of Tyrese Halliburton when he he's only 21 or 22 years old, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, it's the second season. Super, super uh, high um, upside there. That's the word I'm looking for. And I just don't get why they're trading away future pieces for... I mean, Zabonis is good in his own right. I'm not going to deny that. But we already kind of see where he's peaked, you know, where his upside is. Whereas Halliburton and, you know, some of your other future pieces that you're giving away, it's just... it's. I just feel bad for Kings fans because they just have to put up with this all the time. They're always in rebuild mode for whatever reason. Yeah, you're not wrong, Alex. Give me a winner and loser from the NBA trade deadline. Uh, I think a big loser is the Dallas Mavericks. They gave up uh, Kristaps Porzingis, and they got nothing back, uh, really. They traded him to the Washington Wizards for Spencer Dinwiddie, I believe, and Davis Burtons. And it was, uh, I, I don't know why that trade really happened. I don't think it's going to help the Mavericks in any way. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's a pretty big loss on the Mavericks. Um, and I would say the 76ers won, not even because they got James Harden, but because they got rid of Ben Simmons. Yeah, so I agree with you guys. Winners, I have the Nets, 76ers, and, and the Pacers. I think the Pacers, you know, they were rumored to just give up everything, and they gave up a lot, but at the same time, they also got a lot. So I do like what they did. And then the losers, I do have the Kings. I just think they gave up too much, and they're constantly rebuilding, like you said, Dan. But I also put the Blazers could be in trouble here, giving up C.J. McCollum. I think it puts Damian Lillard's future with the organization somewhat in jeopardy. Absolutely. I know he likes it in Portland. He's uh, shown a desire to stay there, but trading away his second best man, and now... It could be trouble in Portland, but we'll have to see what exactly happens after this NBA trade deadline that was so wild. Um, but in the NBA, the All-Star weekend is coming up next weekend, and the teams were drafted. So Team LeBron and Team Durant are official. The starters for Team LeBron are Giannis Antetokounmpo, Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan, and the Joker Nikola Jokic. The starters for Team Durant are Joel Embiid, John Morant, Jason Tatum, Troy Young, and Andrew Wiggins. Before we get to the reserves, how are you guys feeling about the the all-star starters for Team LeBron and Team Durant? Personally, I like Team LeBron a lot more. I think I think both are super talented, obviously, but I think that LeBron definitely had the better the better draft in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, taking Giannis who is a tryhard in the All-Star game, let's be honest. Yeah. But honestly, I hate that tryhard is a bad term, but whatever. That's a topic for another conversation. Yeah, Giannis, always great in the All-Star game. And then to take Steph Curry as well. I mean, Steph Curry. The best shooter of all time. He got an excellent playmaker in yeah. DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan and Jokic. Been insane too, yeah. Yeah. Team LeBron definitely and then, is superior to Durant. Yeah, I agree with you. And then the reserves for Team LeBron – he has Luka Doncic and Darius Garland. All-star Darius Garland. All, thank you. Oh, I messed it up. I messed up my own <laughs> Come thing. Come on, Jake. All-star Darius Garland was the second reserve pick for Team LeBron. Kevin Durant was very upset about him picking Garland. He even tried to trade for Garland after mm. the show. Um, so a lot of praise for Darius Garland in this. 
draft, and he was picked second for Team LeBron, and that's all I wanted to see. Team LeBron, LeBron and Darius Garland, all-star Darius Garland. All-star. On the same team. Good. It's going to be so great. I just want to see Darius Garland. Could this be the first time that we may see LeBron and Garland on the same team? Do you think maybe LeBron comes home in the future at some point? They're going to be a little, like, jersey (laughs) over the mouth whisper talk. I think it depends if we get his son, honestly. My contract ends. (laughs) I'm heading home again. I think it just depends if uh, we get his son or not. I think that's honestly what it depends on. Whoever gets his son, that's who he's going to go to. Honestly, that's my that's my opinion on that. Yep. Um, but as far as the reserves go, um, I could read then, them off. But the big thing that went with the reserves was the James Harden yep. controversy. <laughs> go with. Yeah. So there were three players left. It was LeBron's pick, and he picked Fred Van Vliet. Then it went to Kevin Durant. And it was Rudy Gobert and James Harden on the board. Earlier that same day, James Harden got traded off of the Nets to the 76ers, as we talked about. And it was really funny, really awkward. LeBron James was cracking up, had a clipboard in front of his face. Uh, (laughs) Team Durant, and he was just, Kevin Durant was just talking about like, well, I need size, you know, he's he's established. I'm taking Rudy Gobert. <laughs> Meanwhile, LeBron is just losing it on the other side. Yeah. And then James Harden is the last pick in the all-star reserves and goes to Team LeBron. How do you guys feel about that whole situation? I loved it. I thought that was hilarious. Definitely shows that there definitely was a lot of uh, conflict and infighting in Brooklyn. And yeah. it kind of solidifies my point about how these super teams, they're not so super anymore. And... So, I don't know. It's just funny how LeBron was just cracking up at that and really had to take Harden with that very final, that last pick. That was, that was fantastic. But I got everything I wanted because Darius Garland, also Darius Garland, is on Team LeBron. Yeah. Um, I just hope he, like, throws one up to LeBron. He just stops at home. I can see it happening now in my mind. I just want it to happen in the game. So, let's get to the All-Star festivities going on. The Rising Stars game is Friday night at 9 p.m. It's after AEW Rampage, by the way. AEW Rampage at 7. So tune into that because wrestling is amazing and so is AEW. But anyways, Rising Stars game. <laughs> they're doing a mini tournament race to 75 point style. Um, and Team Barry has Evan Mobley and Isaac Okoro. And they also have Cade Cunningham on the team as well. So how do you guys feel about the Rising Stars game? Anything to add? Do you like the whole race to 75? Anything to say on that? I really like it. I'm glad that Okoro and Mobley are both in it. And on the same team. That's nice. Yeah, for sure. And they will uh, pretty much just show the rest of the league that they are legit, as well as the Cavs, because the Cavs are back. Yes, sir. Cavs are back. Yes, they are. And they all, they're also doing that whole, like, iconic shots in the playoffs in between the games yeah, or something like cool. that. It's a, I tried to read up on the rules. It was very complicated, but they're pretty much just trying to replicate iconic shots from the NBA history. So, cool. Cool for them to do that, and I think Evan Mobley is probably going to be in that as well, so that's exciting. We'll move on to the Skills Challenge, though. They also reformatted the Skills Challenge. That's going to start off Saturday night, and it's shooting, passing, relay, and half-court shot rounds, but you have three teams. First team is Team Rooks for Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, and Josh Giddy. Then you have Team Antetokounmpo. Uh, you have the three Antetokounmpo brothers. I only thought there were two. I guess there are three, so they're going to be comprising that team. And then you have Team Cavs, mm-hmm. giving hometown mm-hmm. a little bit of love mm-hmm. with Jarrett Allen, Darius Garland, and Evan Mobley. That right there is enough for me to tune into the uh, Skills Challenge. How do you guys feel about it? I agree. 
solely just because of Team Cavs. I'm yeah. probably going to watch that. I love it. Yeah, it sounds really like uh, interesting this year how they're bringing in three people. Yeah, I just wish I was going. I just don't have the don't have the money to go up there, but I would love to. Yeah, and they're deciding the winner based off of half court shots. Awesome. So that's really entertaining. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine Jared Allen shooting a half court <laughs> yeah. shot, but hey, we'll <laughs> see it on Saturday maybe. So. And then we have the Celebrity Game. That's actually on Friday night at 7. I think that's the one I'm looking forward to the most. I am, too, because there's one player in it, a little Miles Garrett from the Cleveland Browns. Coming out of retirement. Oh, man, that's going to be so nice. If any <laughs> if any of you listeners have not seen Miles Garrett play basketball, oh look it up on YouTube after the show. It is incredible. He is on a team with Booby Gibson as well. Um, for country artists out there, he's also with Kane Brown and Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb. On the other side, you also have MGK representing Cleveland, and Anderson Varejao's on there, too. So would have been cool to see a Kid Cudi in there. Yeah, I don't know why he wasn't. Usually, they do have a couple rappers. Even, in even uh, designed those uh, jerseys, those, those chosen ones. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, I want to see, uh, see Miles Garrett break a back, uh, backboard. I, uh, he could. Oh, yeah. he I think could. it's possible. He I'd could. love to see some backboard chatter. Man, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm really excited to see that. I think Miles Garrett's going to wreck everybody oh, for in sure. that competition. Um, and then you have the three-point contest Saturday night. The competitors are Fred Van Vliet, Desmond Bain, Luke Kennard, Zach Levine, CJ McCollum, Patty Mills, Carl Anthony Towns, and Trey Young. Uh, do you guys have any feeling on who might win the three-point contest? Any, leaning any particular No, way? because I am not. I, I don't know enough about that, but I know that I will be cheering on CJ McCollum. Yeah, three three zero. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I, uh, I think Ice Trey is going to win it. Really? I've, I've always liked Trey Young, and he. Uh, I feel like anytime I ever see a Trey Young highlight on Instagram or Twitter, it's just him making a fifty foot three point shot. So see, that's yep. that's the thing with Trey Young. I feel like he's more of a circus shooter, and not as so much of an, like an efficient shooter. Well, we'll see. I guess we will. Um, personally, I like Patty Mills here. I mean, he's been lighting it up in Brooklyn. Uh, every single time I watch a, a Nets game, he's always making a big impact. And usually, like, the three-point contest is won by somebody you're not necessarily expecting. Yeah. As long as, like, Steph Curry isn't in it, of course. But Patty Mills, man, I'm, that's probably why they keep him out of it, because they know he's going to win every year. Yeah. Otherwise, you would think he'd be in it every single year, but they probably just... Yeah. They probably know that he's not going to... Plus, in Cleveland, he might have got a couple boos, but who knows? I, I do like so. Patty Mills, though. Going to the slam dunk contest, we have Obi Toppin, Jalen Green, Cole Anthony, and Juan Toscano Anderson in the slam dunk contest. Personally, I like Jalen Green. He's a rookie. I think it might be fun to see him, but honestly, I just don't think the three, the dunk contest has been anything special since the Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine feud myself. But what do you guys think of the three-point... Or the dunk contest? Yeah, it'd be nice to see it where there's not always a controversy going on. And I've noticed that lately. It's, you know, if you have, like, a really incredible dunk, that's not going to be as good as having, like, a mediocre dunk, but, like, there's, like, a light show going on or something. I mean, the judges are terrible, too. Yeah, or, like, the mascots feeding you the ball or something stupid like that. I want to see, like, like an old-school true dunk contest where the judges are completely unbiased and it's all about skill and not just flashiness and showmanship or whatever. Yeah. How about you, Alex? The dunk contest used to be my favorite thing about All-Star Weekend uh, when I was younger, and it is just probably one of my least favorite things now. It's just not been that fun. Uh, so I, I don't care who wins. I'm going to cheer for Cole Anthony because I like him, but uh, 
I just, I want to see some exciting dunks. I just want to see, I want to bring that childhood feeling that I had yep. back to the dunk contest. It was Vince Carter days. Ugh. So what are you guys, real quick, favorite and least favorite uh, all-star festivity? Uh, well, this year, it's definitely going to be the celebrity game. Okay, um, fair enough. Historically, I've always liked the dunk contest, but kind of like what we were saying, I was just there's always some sort of weird controversy with, you know, unfair judging and just, you know, dunks that really shouldn't be graded so highly. Um, so least favorite? I don't know if I really have a least favorite. There's not really any that I like say that, oh, I absolutely hate this. Fair enough. I'll go to you, Alex. Favorite and least favorites, uh, All-Star Festivity. Uh, I love the All-Star game itself. It's actually, I think it's such a fun game to watch. It's one of the very few, like, well, one of the very few in general, but one of the very few All-Star games where I don't care that they necessarily don't try that much. Yeah, Just because right. they put on such an incredible show to watch. Whereas yeah, really in entertaining. The NFL All-Star game, they don't try, and, okay, like I, the Pro Bowl fa- and I fall asleep. So Yeah, yep. it's, yeah. Because it's, uh, football is not a sport where, you know, it, it should just be, like, just offense, no defense. Like, you know, it should be it should go back to the, the Sean Taylor days when he would just level people when they weren't even trying. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I think that the NBA and MLB All-Star games are definitely the For most sure. entertaining out of all of them. Um, and then... The Pro Bowl is uh, terrible. Yeah. My least favorite is usually Pro the Bowl celebrity and the NHL game ones. because too, yeah. I, it's just like I don't know. Something about watching Justin Bieber like try to play basketball usually <laughs> yeah. doesn't fire me up or Kevin Hart. But this year I'm excited for it, so hopefully that uh, opinion funny. of mine will be changed and I like the celebrity game much more this yeah. year. Yeah, for me, my favorite is the three point contest every year. It's always entertaining. It can come down to that last rack shot or like money ball, so it keeps you on your toes. And then my least favorite one is the dunk contest. Like I said, it just fell flat after that Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine feud, which Aaron Gordon won both of those, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Um, poor judging. No question. And you, like, I disagree. Oh, uh, get out of here. <laughs> and there's no big names usually in it. Like, sure, you have the best dunkers, but they might not be as well known around the NBA. Uh, but we'll see how all the all-star festivities play out this coming weekend in Cleveland. It should be a good time, and I'm very excited for the celebrity game. Uh, Before we go to break and talk about everything Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to cut it to Dan for the power play. Sports Power Talk presents the power play with Dan Rowan. All right, so I don't want to leave us with not enough time, so I'm going to go kind of quick on this, but we're going to start this one off overseas with the Beijing Winter Olympics. Team USA defeated Team Canada by a final score of 4-2 to two in the preliminary round. Uh, Team Canada was favored in this one, but Team USA ended up walking away with the win just by simply out-checking them, showing more speed, and it marks their first win over Team Canada since the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver. Also this morning, they just defeated Team Germany, shutting them out 3 to nothing and advancing to the quarterfinals. Uh, the women's team is also going strong after knocking out the Czech Republic in the quarterfinals by a final score of 4-1. to one. This matchup wasn't quite as close as the score indicates as the Czech Republic would score their first on their first shot on goal, uh, which was pretty impressive. But then Team USA would tie it up and then run away with the lead later on. And so uh, coming back here to the NHL, 
the biggest news of the week is Rat Marchand, I mean Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins. He was suspended for six games after deliberately punching Penguins goalie Tristan Jari in the head after play was over. And then it didn't just stop there. He also speared Jari, Jari in the face mask with his stick while being re- uh, restrained by the referee. And so Marchand's reputation of being a cheap, dirty player continues to solidify itself as this is not only the longest suspension of his career, but now he holds the NHL record for most suspensions. He's trying to uh, appeal the suspension, which doesn't make any sense because there's obviously no question that it should be anything lower than six games. And I think that he's lucky that it's only six games, but I digress. Lastly, we're going to talk about the Edmonton Oilers and their once again disappointing season that I've talked about before on several occasions, but they have just fired their head coach, Dave Tippett, and have named Jay Woodcroft as their interim head coach as they desperately try to get back into playing playoff contention. They sit at 24-18-3 and 18 and three on the season for 51 points and are sitting two positions out of a wild card spot. They appear to be heading in the right direction, but this is a team with Stanley Cup aspirations, so barely sneaking into the playoffs and being a wild card exit is not going to suffice. So hopefully this is just something that's going to you know bring them back on track. So... That's been the Power Play with Dan Groen. And we'll be right back with more Sports Power Talk. What's going on, everyone? We are back with Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. My name is Jake Murray, and I'm the host of today's show, joined by Dan Groen. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everyone. Exactly, and Alex Henry. I like football. Yes, we all do, and it is Super Bowl Sunday, And we're going to start off by talking about the NFL Honors 2022, and then we'll get right into the Super Bowl. We have a lot of analysis for it, some prop bets, and some cool and interesting stats. We'll give our predictions, uh, score predictions, and MVP and all things like that. But the NFL Honors, just to recap it a little bit, Coach of the Year ended up being Mike Vrabel of the Tennessee Titans. Comeback Player of the Year was Joe Burrow. Offensive Player of the Year was Cooper Cup. Defensive Player of the Year was TJ Watt. Offensive Rookie of the Year was Jamar Chase, and Defensive Rookie of the Year was Micah Parsons. Do you guys have any problems with these uh, award recipients or anything you would change, or are they all good? There's really nothing that I disagree with with uh, these awards. Um, As far as defense, uh, sorry, Comeback Player of the Year, um, obviously Joe Burrow deserved it most, but I was surprised that Nick Bosa didn't get a nomination I think that at the very least he should have been nominated for it because he yep. came back with 15 and a half sacks after missing all of last season pretty much or most of last season and just showed that he's one of the premier pass rushers in the league. But other than that, I really like pretty much all these um, awards. Yeah. I think they were all deserving. Last week I predicted the awards with Jeff and Marcus and they both picked Nick Bosa. I was the only one that picked Joe Burrow. So I was right on that. But yeah, I do agree. Nick Bosa got a little bit overlooked. Uh, how about you? How about you, Alex? Any any disagreements with the list, or are you okay with it? I'm okay with the list. I liked it for the most part. I think they all had pretty solid list. Yeah, and then we get into the MVP consideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, you're sitting over there with everything Packers on, Aaron Rodgers Pack jersey included, and Aaron Rodgers was your 2022 NFL MVP. Personally, I think it should have gone to Tom Brady. Uh, yeah, he threw for more yards, had more touchdowns, a little bit more interceptions but in his final year i think it should have gone to him that's just my Um, opinion though so don't hate me dan (laughs) 
Uh, I'll let you. I'll let you get your case, and then I know Alex has a dark horse contender that he thinks should have won MVP. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that. But Aaron Rodgers, I think he was most deserving because I, not to discredit anything that Tom Brady's done, because at 44 years old, who is leading? First of all, who's playing quarterback at 44? First of all, and second of all, if they are, who's leading the league in touchdowns and yardage? But I think Aaron Rodgers was most deserving because he elevated his team a lot better. I think he was a lot more valuable to the Packers than Brady was to the Buccaneers. Um, Because Aaron Rodgers, you know, people don't realize that he was playing mostly with the second string offensive line for the entire season. The rotation was just different every single week. There was a lot of inconsistency there. And speaking of inconsistency, his receivers were also very hot and cold. Sometimes you'd get Alan Lazard showing up, and then other times it would just be Devontae Adams. And so when he got that going on and still managed to – and then the defense was also uh, – it, it got hot later on for sure. Um, but when you have all that going on and you manage to get the number one seed in the NFC, I think that that's enough to have an MVP season. And I'm just glad that playoffs don't count for it. I thought that Brady might have – was probably going to win just because of the whole, you know, they wanted to write that storybook ending and because of, you know, other politics that I certainly won't debate. Uh, but I think Rogers definitely rightfully deserved it. Fair enough. Um, I'm not going to dispute that, but I just think Tom Brady, I think a lot of the bias comes in with it just being his last season. It would have been more of a fairy tale ending to his career than him just losing the playoffs. Um, that's just my take on it. But Alex, I'm more intrigued to see who you think should have won MVP. Well, Tom Brady's already the GOAT, so I'm not sure if he necessarily needed an MVP. Yeah, I don't think he uh, needed it. I just think it would have been nice for him to walk out. Rodgers is sure. the GOAT. Um, Aaron Rodgers, you know, he had an incredible season. I'm not mad about him being MVP. However, MVP stands for most valuable player. And one player that sticks out to me as most valuable to their team is Joe Burrow. Oh. I don't... If you really think about it, are the Bengals in the Super Bowl without Joe Burrow? Are they making the playoffs without Joe Burrow? I mean, their offensive line is just not atrocious, yeah. that good. And what he he single handedly turned that entire team around. Nobody um, in the preseason thought they were going to be good. Um, obviously, he won Comeback Player of the Year, so I, I guess it's kind of bittersweet for him. But I. When I think of the most valuable player in the league this past season, I think of Joe Burrow. So, yeah. I mean, fair enough. Uh, Good argument. Yeah, I definitely think it was between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, though. If I were to give it to somebody else, I would have gone with Cooper Cup instead of Joe Burrow. But, but Joe Burrow definitely needs some love for what he's done this season. Yeah, and then Cooper Cup, he was definitely most deserving of Offensive Player of the Year because when you talk about MVP, the most valuable positions are definitely quarterbacks. So I'm glad that the NFL has separate awards for the best offensive player, regardless of position, best defensive player, um, et cetera. I think that's what college should do with the whole Heisman thing. Yeah. But that's all their debate that that will be discussed later on on the show. It is time, ladies and gentlemen, to talk about the big game going on today it's obviously super bowl sunday super bowl 56 going on later between the cincinnati Bengals and the los angeles rams so before we get into our prop bets i want to bring up this tweet from field yates i got it from him the longest odds to win the super bowl this preseason before the season started the odds to win the super bowl 
the worst team was the Texans, who are picking third in this draft. Then it was the Lions, who are picking second. And then it was the Jaguars, who are picking first in this upcoming draft. And then it was the Bengals, who are playing in the Super Bowl today. Everybody counted them out. I don't Everybody know why people here thought they were going to be so bad. I mean, I didn't think they'd be this far, but I wasn't expecting them to have a top five pick. Yeah. And before the season started, Super Bowl odds, Texans, Lions, Jaguars, Bengals. Wow. They included the Bengals in that in that conversation. Insane job by Joe Burrow and company to get to where they've gotten to. But without further ado, gentlemen, we have some prop bets to do. We have 25 of them to be exact. Now, a couple of these do include some, like, game winner and who will be the MVP. We'll keep that for last. Definitely want to keep you guys on the tip of your toes with who we're going to pick to win and be the MVP and final score predictions and all that. That's also where Around the Rue is going to come in with our Twitter page as well, and we'll get to that. But number one for the prop bets, the length of the national anthem in seconds, the over-under is 122 and a half seconds, so roughly over two minutes, over or under for the length of the national anthem. It's in L.A. I'm going to go with over. I don't even know who's singing. I'm just going over. It's some up-and-coming country star. I keep on being told the name, and then it's out of my brain. So it's not like some gospel, you know. I don't think so. Okay, then it might be under if that's the case. Um, I'm going to go over. Yeah, I also have America. the over here. I just think it's... I always kind of go with the over with the length of the National Anthem. I think they draw it out more than anything. So, yeah, over 122.5. We all agree on that one. Yeah. The coin toss result. I mean, we've been talking about this a lot with the Tails playoffs. Tails never fails. Tails never fails. I, was, <laughs> I, I pick Tails as well here. Did you pick Tails, Dan? Yeah. Okay, beautiful. I um, also pick Tails. And all right. All all in agreement thus far. Disagreeing on <laughs> I'm sure we will. So, the next one okay. is the, uh, the game winner, but we're going to hold on to that. And now it's the first offensive play of the game. Is that going to be a run or a pass? I'm going to go with pass. Really? Okay. I'm going to go with a play-action pass. Uh, Joe Mixon's going to run the ball. Okay. Mickey Guyton, by the way, is singing the national anthem, if anybody cared to know. Uh, I don't even know um, who that is. Country artist, that's all I really know about her. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be a run. I think teams usually start with the ball on the ground just to establish something. So I just I think they're just going to want to try to get off to a, like a very surprising uh, yeah, electric I mean, start. I don't hate the that strategy. I just think most teams like to, to play, play it slow. Uh, I also skipped over game total. So over 48.5 or under 48.5 points? I wanted to say under, but then when I was coming up with the predictions in my head about what the final score would be, it ended up being over, so I'm hitting over. I'm the exact same as you, Dan. Um, I wanted to go under, made my prediction, and actually settled with the over 40 and a half. How about you, Alex? I don't know. I'm going to go with under. Under? Okay. Just to disagree? Yeah, just to disagree. <laughs> hey, oh, I, well, actually, um, no. But what's your final score prediction? Is it over 48 and a half or is it under? No, it's under. We're gone. What okay. are our finals? Oh, well, uh, never mind. We'll, we'll, we'll get to, we'll we'll get get to that to, at yeah. the very, very end uh, the next one, I think this one was probably the easiest. Uh, will there be a score in the first six minutes and 59 seconds? I think so. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll I think it'll probably be a field goal, but yeah. I, there's going to be a score. I disagree. Ooh. Okay. You think, wow, okay. I thought this was easy. I'm going to go with yes. I mean, the first seven minutes of the game, that's at least a possession for probably both teams. 
I think somebody scores on there. Field goal, in my opinion. Right, and both field goal kickers are good and talented. I don't think there's going to be a missed field goal, really. So, yeah, I think it'll at least be a field goal in the first seven minutes of the game. So, team to score first, the Rams or the Bengals? I'm going to go with the Bengals. I think that McPherson's going to end up kicking uh, a somewhat long field goal, and I think that they're going to put the first three points on the board. I'm going to go with the Rams. I also have the Rams here. I think the Bengals will start off with the ball, and they might stale out a little bit like they did against the Chiefs in their first possession, give the ball to the Rams, and then they'll probably go down the field. Whether it's a touchdown or field goal, I just think the Rams are going to score first off of their second uh, possession, or their first possession but second possession of the game. So will there be a score in the final two minutes of the first half, yes or no? I say yes. I agree. I am in agreement with both of you guys. I do think there's going to be a score in the final two minutes of the first half. Usually, I feel like usually there is. And with a game with this many stakes, I feel like whatever team has the ball to close out the half will definitely try and get down the field and score. So next we have, will a team score three consecutive times, not including PATs? No. No. Yeah, that's a hard ask. I also went with no. Um, both defenses are pretty talented. I think the Bengals' defense is pretty underrated. I think it's going to be well. a relatively close game. If I, I really don't see it being like a three-score yeah. type of thing. Especially three consecutive times yeah. for one team no. to do it. I could see maybe like the Rams scoring, Bengals scoring, Rams scoring for that three consecutive, yeah, yeah, but yeah. not one team doing it three times in a row. I just don't see that happening. So now we're getting into some of the stats of the game. Matthew Stafford, starting quarterback for the L.A. Rams, Passing yards, is that over or under 284 and a half? Ooh. I'm going over. Um, I'm going to hit the under. Oh. All right. So I, I went over here as well. I think it's going to be a pass-heavy game for both teams, but Matthew Stafford, he's got the weapons on offense. I think Cooper Cup's going to have a great game as well. I uh, did go over 284 and a half for Matthew Stafford. The next one, same thing. Joe Burrow passing yards a little bit less though, over under 276 and a half. Over. I'll hit the over on that. All right. Yeah, I also went with the over. Uh, like I said, just passing dominant game from both teams. Joe Burrow sure. also has weapons. Can I changed my mind on the Stafford one. You're going <laughs> over on the Stafford one. Yeah, I'm oh, thinking okay. about it now, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's going to be an air raid kind of game. You got to have and confidence. With my, and since I'm hitting the over on the score, I, I I say Stafford probably goes over. All right. So fair enough. I'll allow it, I, I suppose. <laughs> uh, total receiving yards now Cooper Cup over or under 104 and a half. I'm going to hit the under on this one. Wow, okay. I. Would have to agree. Wow. Jeez, I'm the only like, one going I, over. Okay. Cooper I Cup's think he's going to have a really good game. I Me just too. think that asking for more than 104 might be a little much, but I think again, they'll I spread the ball out. Um, I think so. I think they'll end up getting like 102 or 103 or something <laughs> like that. Man, okay. I definitely with with the over here, 104 and a half for Cooper Cup. Okay. He's been the best receiver on that team all season. Triple Crown, Offensive Player of the Year, all that jazz. Cooper Cup, I think it's easy. I think it's going to get over 104 and a half uh, receiving yards. Next, we have total receiving yards for Jamar Chase over under 80 and a half. I'm going over. Over. Yeah. I have the under. Oh, oh 
goodness. Lots of disagreements here. <laughs> so he's being covered by Jalen Ramsey, and the Bengals have other weapons in T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Ramsey's gotten burned a lot this season. I mean, I agree. I just don't. I think I don't he's know. overrated. I think the number I said is low with 80 and a half, but I do think that's. Granted, I don't think he'll have like, like you know. 140 yards or whatever. I think he'll kind of like the other one. I think he'll end up getting like probably like maybe 85, 95-ish. That's my guess. I think he's going to have a good game, but the Bengals have multiple weapons and he might not be prioritized with the coverage. That's all I'm going to say about that one. I think I did skip over this one, but the jersey number of the first touchdown scorer, is it going to be odd or even? Hmm. Uh, hold on, where where was this? I'm trying to find it. It's at the very top, I believe. Uh, I go with odd. Odd? I'm also I going think odd. I went odd, too, just because there's a lot more playmakers with odd, odd numbers. numbers. Definitely. Number yeah, one, I think Jamar Cooper Chase Cup is the only one that has an 85. Yeah, T. Higgins. And I was also thinking of uh, Tyler Higby, too. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. Higby's not playing, is he? I, I, I thought I saw that he was out. I think so, so but that would be a big loss for the Rams, if, if not. Um, I also went with odd. I just think there's more playmakers. I could have sworn I saw that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, the next one is the length of the longest successful field goal in yards, either over or under 46 and a half yards for the field goal. Alex, I'll go to you first. Uh, I'm going to go with the over. It's uh, the Super Bowl. Somebody's going to have to kick a long field goal. I always also, attempt it. I'm going under. But um, also, yeah, Tyler Higby is out. Oh, wow. man, that's, a, Rams. that's a tough loss for the that's Rams. as a backup lineman. All right, they'll have to figure out a way to go without Tyler Higby. Definitely one of those star uh, receivers for Matthew Stafford. But for the longest field goal, I went over 46 and a half. Um, both kickers are good. They can hit over 46 and a half. It just matters on the placement of the ball, really. I think over 46 and a half is realistic. The team with the longest successful field goals, I went with the Bengals over the Rams. I did too. I really like the Bengals kicker. He's been great all season long, especially in the postseason. Danny went with Bengals. Alex, which way did you? I agree. Bengals is sweet. Length of the longest touchdown in yards, over or under 44 and a half yards? Over. I'm going over. I'm, I'm seeing either a super long bomb, uh, bomb pass to uh, either Jamar Chase or Cooper, uh, Cup. Cooper Cup. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you guys. Over 44 and a half. Since I took the under on Jamar Chase's receiving yards, I think it's going to happen with Cooper Cup. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Team with the longest touchdown, though, Rams or Bengals? I'm going to go Bengals. I'm going to go Rams. Man, I think I went with Bengals as well. I just think Joe Burrow is going to spread the field maybe a little bit more. And uh, I know Matthew Stafford has the targets down low or deep with uh, Cooper Cup, but I do like the Bengals scoring the longest touchdown. And it could come on the ground, too, with Joe Mixon. You never know. Total QB sacks over or under for four and a half. I'm hitting the over because I think it's the easy, Bengals. Right? Yeah. I think the Bengals will end up getting one or two, but then I think that the Rams, with that powerful of a defensive front, I think that they're going to be getting Burrow quite a bit. Sleeper pick. I'm going to pick the under. It's it's the Super Bowl. These linemen are going to block. Not when you don't have good ones. Like their life. They allowed nine versus the Titans. Now they're going up against Aaron Donald. Von Miller, Leonard Floyd. Going with the under. (laughs) Exactly. All right then. Going with the under. And plus, if you account for maybe a sack or two for the Bengals, it's it's pretty easy here to go with the over four and a half for sacks. But who knows, Alex? Might maybe you'll be right. We'll see. Total turnovers over or under two and a half. Mm, I'm going under. 
I also pick the under. I also pick the under. I think two and a half is just too big. If it was I like think, one I think and a half, two at most. Yeah, I think if it was one and a half, I might have gone over. But two and a half, I'm definitely resting with the under here. Number I of think challenges. Be like maybe one forced fumble and then one interception. Yeah, could be. Number of challenges initiated by coaches over or under one and a half. Over. I'm really? Gonna, I'm gonna hit the over as well. I'm going under here. I just really? feel like there's not many coaches. Challenges. I think I think everyone's gonna uh, challenge just once. I think it'll be like two. Yeah, that's fair enough. Plus the Super Bowl, nothing really to lose. Just, I mean, it'll probably be like you know yardage or whatever. That's true. I mean, I guess or I could see it happening. Or reception, or I don't know. I could see it happening. I just don't feel like challenges happen very often. And uh, yeah, I'll say under one and a half for that. Will there be a missed extra points, either a PAT or a two point conversion? Yes or no? Uh, no. I'm going no. I'm also going to go with no. Yeah, I also yeah. have no. Both kickers, like I've said, are great. And if it comes down to a two-point conversion, I feel like it's going to be late in the game where defenses are worn out and that's, both offenses are good enough. That's to my mindset. Both kickers, I I don't see them missing. All right. Well, color, color of the Gatorade bath. This is always fun. <laughs> we have the options of white or clear, and then the other option is just any other color. Um, definitely any other color. That's what I'm going with. Because clear is just one color. There's a whole rainbow worth of other colors. <laughs> I agree with you. Choose from. I'm going to go with purple specifically. Purple. Okay. Gatorade. I love the confidence for the purple Gatorade. <laughs> um, all the colors are orange for the Super Bowl. Being in L.A., just the logo is even orange, so I think it could be orange, but I'm just going to go any other color. I'm, gu- I'm guessing it's probably going to be orange. Yeah, I'm going to go with orange here. I think it just makes sense with the color like theme it, of the yeah. uh, ah, orange Gatorade. amazing. Oh, okay. Just my opinion. All right, now we're kind of going to get into the thick of it with the winner predictions and MVP, but we're going to have the position of the Super Bowl MVP. Is it a quarterback or is it any other player? Quarterback. I also have a quarterback, Dan. Uh-oh. Yeah, who do you have? Uh-oh. I'm going any other position. Whoa. Okay, okay. So I think that it's either going to be Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, or Jamar Chase. I can see Aaron Donald if he has a you know what whoever it is I'm fine with it as long as it's not Odell. (laughs) Yes. Oh man, that would be rough. That'd be rough. So, gentlemen, get your picks in right now. Bengals, Rams, Super Bowl Sunday. He was going to win the Lombardi Trophy. I might be on a different fence with y'all. I'm going Rams 31, Bengals 24. Okay. Touchdown game. I Alex. I just think uh, I'll I'll just say that with I think that the Rams defense is going to get to the Bengals quite a bit. I think the Bengals are going to have success, but I think that the Rams are just going to stay on top of them. Okay, fair enough. Even though I want the Bengals to win, uh, even though that I, I hate how likable they are, and I hate to say that as a Browns fan, I think the Rams might end up walking away with the win. Okay. So, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I know that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to win tonight. <laughs> I'm very, very confident that they will win. I think they will win 27-19, and I think Joe Burrow will take home the MVP. All okay. right. Well, Alex, our predictions are very close because I also have the Cincinnati Bengals winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> But I have them winning twenty-seven to twenty-three. Oh, close! Uh, yeah, pretty pretty close on that prediction. I also have the Bengals here. I'm hoping um, y'all I'm are rooting right. for them. 
And as far as MVP goes, just real quick, gentlemen, give your MVP for the Super Bowl. Mm. You picked the Rams, so Aaron, Aaron Donald, Donald or Cooper Cup? Aaron Donald. Okay. Joe Burr. I also have Joe Burrow as my Super Bowl MVP. Joe Shiesty. Just, I mean, when you look at his targets, I think Jamar Chase is going to be covered up too much. He has some other targets. I think he's going to spread, spread the well, spread the yardage. And when it comes down to it, I think he's going to get the job done. Maybe on a final possession, we'll have to see. And also, this is where Around the Rue comes into play, uh, where we debate around the table and bring it to you via our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. Last week, uh, I hate to break it to you, but you voted that Tom Brady would win the MVP award. And y'all were wrong. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> we, were, we were wrong. We were wrong. It was Aaron Rodgers. But this week, you have a chance to redeem yourself because we want to know who you are picking for the Super Bowl. Um, usually, the Super Bowl doesn't... Usually, I have these polls last for a couple of days. Obviously, I'll just keep it to a couple of hours. But Super Bowl 56 also let us know... Your final score predictions in the comments. We would love to see what you guys think. A couple of disagreements, though. You went with Rams, Dan? Mm-hmm. I, I want the Bengals, but then, I think yeah. the Rams uh, are going to be the uh, dark horse. They're going to walk away with it. Fair enough. You went Joe with Burrow's the next Tom Brady, and right. he's going to have insane yeah, Well, that makes two, two people up here saying I mean, that. I don't this disagree going, with This comments, is going but... to cement his, his start of becoming... I mean, I hope in the I'm, argument for Ghost Status. I'm rooting for him this year, but as long as, as the, the Browns North. continue to kick his butt. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no. I mean, I'd rather get to the Super Bowl than go 2-0 against the Bengals every year. That's well, yeah, I mean, that. yeah, I'm just saying that, you know, if... Uh, I, I know. I see where you're saying. It can be good, but, but as long as we're better. For sure. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I just... Being in the FC North, it's going to be a tough division next year, definitely. But that will do it for everything going on with the Super Bowl prop bets, predictions, score analysis, everything going on later on today. Gentlemen, any final thoughts on today's show? Joe Shiesty. Joe Burrow, I love you. Bring it home to Cincy tonight. Man, all you guys got to say is Joe Burrow. Okay. For me, for me at least, (laughs) for me at least, uh, UFC 271 last night, of course, a great pay-per-view. Josh Roller, good luck to him on Friday. Uh, go check out that podcast on SBT Overtime, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, the Zips basketball team, they're playing Western Michigan, Northern Illinois, and Eastern Michigan this week. Good luck to them and Enrique Freeman and the squad. Same goes for the Cavs. They're playing the Hawks before they go to the All-Star break and All-Star game festivities. That should be fun in Cleveland. I can't wait to see Miles Garrett on a basketball court. We will see what happens with that. NFL honors, I agree with it for the most part. Obviously, the Super Bowl tonight. Everybody have a good time watching that. And before we go off the air, I'd like to give a shout-out to one person. Um, That person is Sean White, the face of the Winter Olympics for me for Team USA for years and years. Unfortunately, had his last and final run for the men's halfpipe the other day. And just an incredible career in snowboarding for Sean White. I don't know if you guys share the same sentiment as I do when it comes to Sean White, but just incredible seeing him. And he got fourth place in the finals. He didn't go out with a medal, but he went out on a run that he gave his everything for, and that's all you can hope for out of Sean White. And I wish him good luck in his future endeavors, whether that be uh, snowboarding or skateboarding or whatever it might be. Good luck to Sean White. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday, everyone. 
You already know Sports Power Talk. We will be back same time, same place next week. Joining me was Dan Groen and Alex Henry. My name is Jake Murren. Have a great day.